0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbapasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW proof. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Give me the flat to dawn with plenty of tailing fish.
1: And the perfect fly rod Whoa, yeah. and get ready for some magic.
0: What oh, awesome eat. Yeah. I got one. Oh, damn, I got him. I got him. I got him. Join
1: Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Nice fish. And help make sure that the magic never ends. Visit tarbone.org to find out how you can help. It's been a while since I hit a, uh, a sound bite. I'm going to hit some sound bites tonight. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck, also known as Redfish Chuck. I am the host of the Monday Night Kickoff Show. Uh, joined soon, I hope, by my co-host here, Pepe Vidal. Um, and of course, uh, we've got a couple of cool things to talk about, as we tend to try and do here on the show, uh, I know it's the day after Easter. There's probably still a lot of folks that are out of town and or getting home right now from their vacations and going to visit family. I hope everybody had a, a safe and happy Easter and are making it home to their destinations, uh, safely. Yeah. There you go. Um, real quick locally, uh, we'll get a little weather report right now. The, uh, the winds have been cranking last couple of weeks and, uh, You know, haven't really shown much signs of letting up, although it looks like we may get a little bit of a reprieve from it here in the next couple of uh, days. So uh, it's looking pretty good towards the weekend for the Titusville version of the IFA tournament or the the Titusville installment of the uh, IFA tournament. So that's awesome. Uh, Looking forward to fishing that this upcoming weekend. I know there's going to be a lot of really good kayak anglers coming into town to fish this event. Looking forward to seeing a bunch of uh, old friends from around the state and maybe a a few new faces as well. Uh, The weigh-in, tentatively, will be uh, at Kayaks by Bo and KBB Outfitters, so that's pretty cool. Um, Big shout-out to Tom and to Lynn for uh, putting that together. And, uh, yeah, so... Let's see. Last Monday we talked and I told, gave you the fish report from my last trip out last Monday. I went, I went this morning for a little while just because it's a Monday and I can't help myself, but to get out on the water. So, uh, went to a spot I w- I've been trying to pattern the fish at for this upcoming tournament and, uh, it was, it was worthless. The, uh, the trip itself caught two small snook and a dink trout uh didn't even see a redfish the entire time i was on the water um did however get an opportunity to throw some new colors from slayer ink and uh, a couple new colors from uh bank Lures that both look really really good in the water so that was cool uh, i always get a kick out of that and then uh let's see what else did i do uh that's pretty much it as far as uh, today was concerned got off the water kind of early had to go pick up the kids Uh, from school, and um, went down to a local pond and fed the fish uh, some bread. Had an opportunity to watch a a solid eight-pound bass come up and and just demolish some brim, which was pretty cool. And uh, it's always fun to watch a uh, raging feeding frenzy take place, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this bass and just annihilates the whole deal. Um, There was some, uh, some finger mullet out there on the river. Um, not a whole lot, but what I did see, which is pretty positive is, uh, a number of, um, small schools of glass minnows and small pilchards. So, you know, this time of year, typically the, uh, the rivers become overflown with, uh, with bait fish. So, you know, it's definitely that time of year to get out there and get after it. Something a little bit more aggressive than what it is that we do, um, in the uh, in the winter months, even though it seems like we can't get away from the cool weather, um, it is going away hopefully soon. So, <sighs> with that being said, I'm going to hit a real quick commercial break, and when we get back, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about um, what's coming up this week. You know, we got a lot of a lot of really exciting things happening in and around Bavard County and the world of kayak fishing in Central Florida, for that matter. So uh, you're listening to the Kayak Fishing Radio Network, I am your host, Charles Levi.
0: Give me the flat to dawn with plenty of tailing fish
1: and the perfect fly rod. And get ready for some magic.
0: Oh, awesome eat. Yeah, I got one! Oh, damn, I got him, I got it. I got him. Join
1: Bonefish and Tarpon Trust.
0: Nice fish.
1: And help make sure that the magic never ends. Visit tarbone.org to find out how you can help. There you go, pouring out a little drink for everybody there. Uh, let's see what's going on in the chat room real quick. We've got a uh, couple people there in the chat room tonight. Uh, Black Fly Guy, we've got Dean Zimmerman's in the chat room, a couple of guests. Guests, if you're, in the, if you're logged into the chat room as a guest, if you use your Facebook account or your Twitter account, you can uh, log in and start chit-chatting with everybody there in the chat room, asking questions or just talk to each other. Um, usually, it's a, it's a little bit more talkative than what it is tonight, but, um, and we normally have a few more people in there than what we do tonight, but again, we have that holiday weekend. So, uh, we've got non-pro staff, Murdoch, New Smyrna Beach, Mike who, uh, congratulations to Mike, caught himself a nice smoker kingfish on his recent trip down to Pompano Beach. And, of course, Randy Calrifkin, Jr. English. So thank you guys for joining us there in the chat room. And, uh, yeah, so going forward, let's see. Um, I don't even know where to go, where I'm at right now. Let's see. Um, I'm all jacked up. Let's see. Uh, that's better. All right, here's something we haven't talked about in quite a while and uh, because the season wasn't right. But now that I'm seeing all these finger mullet in the river, it makes me want to do one of two things. It makes me want to go out, grab myself a popping cork, cast at me a couple of those mullet, throw a mullet out underneath the popping cork on the edge of a deep flat and uh, see what comes up and clobbers it. I've, I've caught some really, really nice trout that way and i've caught some really really nice uh redfish that way as well um the other thing i like to do with these finger mullet is if you cast in it just a couple just keep a few alive it's easier to keep a few alive that way um get out and uh throw those things like they're a jerk bait or a shad tail like sight fish fish with the live bait but sight fish them the same way you'd sight fish with them with the jerk shot. By saying that, <clears throat> the rig that you're going to want to run with this is uh, you're going to want to take at least a two-foot section of about 20-pound mono or fluorocarbon, whichever one you prefer, um, and number, you know, probably a two-aught, if not even a three-aught size live bait hook, Okay. You can use a circle hook if you want to, but uh, I prefer to use a live bait hook because you watch the fish eat the mullet. So it's not like you're waiting for the, the line to come tight and the hook to do its job. You're going to set the hook on it just like you would if it was a jerk shad or anything else. So get yourself a number two or I mean, a two o or a 3 live bait style hook. Um, I prefer Mustads uh, or Gamagatsus, Owners, any of those brands are really, really good hooks, but my personal preference is Mustad. Um, they've just been making great hooks for years. And so, uh, so you take that, that finger mullet and hook him through the lip, hook just one lip. You don't, don't pin him through the bottom of the mouth, through the top of the head. You don't want to pin his mouth shut because then he drowns and he dies. You want to, you want to take the hook run it inside of his mouth, up through a nostril or up through, you try not to go in the center of the head, but up through a nostril hole will work just fine. And just lay him in the water next to the kayak. Stand up. Sit down, however you guys get around, but stand up or sit down, pull around until you find your fish. You see your push. You see a tail. You see, you know, one sitting in a pothole, what have you, and throw that mullet the same way you would throw any other plastic bait. Throw it well past the fish, reel down on it, get it coming to you, and then uh, right before you get to to that fish, whether it's a big trout or a red, stop it. Just stop it. Let it just stop dead. And what will happen or what should happen is that mullet should be able to uh, pick up on the fact that, uh uh-oh, there's danger right by me. I need to get out of here. Well, if you keep the line semi-tight, the only place for him to go is either up or down. He can't shoot away from him very easily. So um, if he goes down, you're in business because that's what 90% of, of bait does when a redfish is just about to eat it. They dive into the grass as a last resort if they can't get out of the water. So they, he'll jump all over it. You'll see the gills flare out, the whole thing. You'll feel that thud, and uh, at that point, turn his head sideways. Now, if, if your bait fish is jumping, if he comes out of the water and he's trying to get away from whatever's trying to eat it, whether it be a big jack or, again, a snook or a trout or a redfish, I tend to open my bale up and give him the line that he needs to try and run for his life. You don't want to you don't want to do anything that's unnatural with that mullet. You don't want to stop him from being able to run away. You want him to run and do exactly what it is he's supposed to do as a mullet. And I'm telling you if the fish is turned on and if he if he's on the bite and he knows that, that he wants that mullet, he'll get it. It might take him a few strikes on the surface, especially redfish. Even a big trout, a big trout might pop a mullet seven or eight times before he finally gets the thing. So uh you know, stay with it and just and target them that way. It's a lot of fun to watch the predation of a – it sounds sick, but it's a lot, of, a lot of fun to watch predation take place when you've got, you know, one of the alpha predators on the flats being the big redfish chasing down this, this little finger mullet or a pinfish or a croaker or uh, uh, a spot or any of those, any of those types of baitfish. they all work just fine, especially a pigfish. But uh, but since we have such an abundance of mullet right now, I'm telling you, that's the way to go. Um, I noticed that we got Ed from Hellbrand Leatherworks just joined us there in the chat room and a couple other guests. Again, guests, you guys can log into the chat room if you'd like to using your Facebook account or your Twitter account, and uh, we'll let you type away there, and you guys can chit-chat to each other. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the show, feel free to call um, 714-816-4727. If you guys that went down to Pompano want to call in and give a report, feel free to do so. Again, the number is 714-816-4727. But, yeah, I'm telling you, it's – what about googly eyes? Yeah, googly eyes work. (laughs) Um, It's a lot of fun. I I really, really enjoy using using live bait from time to time just because it breaks up the monotony of of throwing plastic. Um, I'm not – I wouldn't consider myself a bait chunker. Because I don't, I typically don't throw out a hunk of bait and sit there and wait for something to happen. I just, I don't have the patience for it. But I will use bait if I'm actively searching out a predator, um, whether I'm using shrimp or, again, any of the fin fish. Um, I don't mind doing that at all, especially if I know that uh, I'm going to get to watch the bite. Because, I mean, heck, that's half the fun anyway, right? That's why we throw topwaters. But, um, so, yeah. Now, as we progress into the spring, and we're already starting to see it here on the Space Coast, um, our water's starting to warm up a little bit. We're getting these giant patches of uh, red rolly grass and, and this weird kind of algae, like hairy hairy algae-looking stuff. While it doesn't look good, that that is indeed your best friend when you're out there on the flats. You know, you need something that you can use to your advantage to locate fish when you just can't seem to be able to find the fish. And for me, there's nothing better than finding a, a a hard to find edge of weeds. So when I say that, if you picture weeds as the edge of weeds being uh, much like a seawall, okay? Sure. Bait fish and things can shoot into that grass wall and try and get away. But for the most part, it's a roadblock. Your predatory fish, your big trout, your big redfish, um, black drum, all those kinds of things will hang out and around that red rolly grass and that uh, that really kind of thick hair type um, algae that's growing right now in the river. And they might, they might not all sit inside of it. They might sit on the outside of it. It might hug right up against the edge of it. They might sit out in a pothole just on the outside of it and watch it. But as soon as something comes by that looks edible, that looks fishy, that looks like it should get eaten, they will rush in and, and do what they do best. And so, you know, if you're fishing a grass flat and there's there's potholes and there's like, you know, thick, like turtle grass and things like that, that's all well and good. But, man, as soon as you come across a giant mat of grass like that, it, it – it, always makes sense to stop and hit it. you got to fish it. Um, One of the questions I guess I get probably the most, especially via email from the show, guys ask, you know, you always talk about jig heads. You always talk about jig heads. You know, why are you throwing jig heads if there's so much grass? Because, A, I don't care if I get grass on the jig head. B, I would rather when the fish takes my plastic, when he eats that plastic and commits to taking it, that – as soon as he eats it, his mouth is full of steel, right? He doesn't have to try and compress the plastic in such a way that opens up the gap of a weedless hook. As soon as he puts his mouth around that bait, you know the hook is exposed and you're about to rip his face off. So I try to, you know, I always tell folks to come into the shop or people who email me or whatever that, you know, think about it like this too. Almost everything that a trout, a red fish, a black drum, a snook, almost everything that uh, these fish eat, all have spikes, spines, pointy edges, whatever, whether it's crabs, shrimp, uh, horseshoe crabs, uh, small seahorses, pinfish, you know, everything has spines and things on them, so when a crab comes out of the grass, and he's got a couple of pieces of grass attached to his shell, do you think a redfish is going to say, "Nah, I'm not getting down with the lettuce tonight, no, that's not going to happen. He's going to jump all over it and crush that crab, you know, into pieces. And then uh, he'll be happy with a fat belly full of a snack. So it, it's the same concept. I've had tons of fish caught on jigs where I knew you feel that, that little bit of resistance on the end of the line when you come through with some grass and you know you've got grass in your jig. I've had tons of fish clobber it, especially if you're throwing a shad tail style bait, something with a kick tail, um, like an SST from Slayer, a cow bait from DOA. Um, any of the, uh, the soft plastics from like, uh, mirror lure, uh, Ricky banks, uh, the flats creeper, you know, any of those types of baits, the thing about it is even though you may have weeds on and around the jig head and up to the hook, or maybe even on the hook, somewhere inside that cluster of weeds is still a tail that's vibrating like crazy. That's still kicking, right? It's still, it's still doing what it's supposed to do. That my friends is the key. When that tail, as long as you feel that wobble in that tail or the bait wobble, you're still good, because 90% of the time, especially going into the warmer months, the water is going to be just a little bit too dirty for them to be able to see your bait from a ways out. But they can feel it. They can feel it. They can feel it on their lateral line. They know it's there. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things. It's it's it's. It's cool to watch a redfish cruise across a flat and hammer a bait almost the same way as if, like, you're out trolling on a weed line and you look over and you see a big, like, bull dolphin or, you know, a sailfish or anything come shooting across the spread and eat a bait. They probably didn't see that bait from a long ways off, but they felt it, you know. Most, almost all major game fish species, almost all of them have a lateral line. And that lateral line is is there for that reason. It's there to pick, to pick up vibrations and small electronical sig, uh, sig, signatures within the water to kind of help hone in on bait, on things to eat. So uh, you know, I always say, cast. get some grass on it. Keep reeling it the way you would. Don't don't speed up your retrieve and you're know, trying to slap the surface with the jig. Never do that. I see guys do that from time to time where they just slap, slap, slap on the surface with the jig trying to get the grass off. Just come on. We're we're, we're all grown men here. Take two seconds. Take your fingers and pick the grass off. It's not going to bite you. Because um, if you're in an area like the northern end of the motor zone or uh, some of the areas in the lagoon and you slap the water like that with a jig, you pretty much can just kiss that spot goodbye. So, And, folks, I don't have any music for them. Maybe I do. Stand by. Let's see yeah let's try this. No, that was horrible. Hang on a second Peppy don't 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 hang up, hang on <laughs> working on it, trying to find something that'll work for you, buddy here.
0: What's up? What's up, man? I was going to say, you better not put any salsa or merengue or anything like that on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I wouldn't do that. You said salsa meringue. merengue.
1: Uh, yeah, man.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now so, so uh, what we're talking about, we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, different ways of using um, live bait. As opposed to the typical, throw it out, let it sit, and wait for something to happen. You know, I'm talking about using uh, finger mullet as a, as a almost like a sight fishing bait, the same way you would with a jerk bait or, or shad tail or any anything else. If you see a fish laying in a pothole, you know how you can present a, a live mullet to it the same kind of way. Cast past it, bring it near it, drop it, let it do its thing. Um, what, what are your what are your thoughts on uh, on on throwing um live bait in and around like grass or in and around potholes and stuff do you do you get into that at all i mean i know
0: I kind of the same but nah i rarely get into it but i'll tell you what as deadly as could be i mean you put a you put a lively finger mole in front of a in front of a redfish and i could almost guarantee you that 90% of the time that redfish is going to get it you know I mean yeah. that's that's like, I mean that's 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 freaking candy for a redfish right there. You know what I'm saying? To put put a lively finger mullet right in front of his face, you know something like that. I mean we rarely do it, you know, because for us, you know, the whole thing about us, you know, we're on a kayak all the time. To keep, you know, just just the fact of keeping live bait, you know what I'm saying, and, and maintaining it alive and the whole stuff, and carrying out a bucket around and all the stuff with bait and stuff. Uh, and just you know what i'm saying it's just yeah i don't know so we do uh, we do so good with with artificial baits i think that you know it's one of those things that I, i i i actually find it you know i actually find artificial bait more challenging anyways to tell you the truth i like the challenge of artificial baits right and but but talk about a deadly deadly weapon, if you could carry live bait with you like that, and and if you like to do that, if that's your game and you like to do it, oh my gosh, you put a lively finger mullet in front of of any fish. (laughs) And I will guarantee you that fish is going to get it. (laughs) Absolutely. You know what else
1: I do uh, from time to time is I'll cast net maybe three or four, you know, I mean, you'll you'll net a lot more than that, but I might keep three or four uh, finger mullet in a bucket. You know, if you got three or four of them in the bucket, they're not going to go through the oxygen quite as much. You don't have to worry about an aerator as much. You can kind of just drop them over the side every now and again. But I'll keep one hooked with a live bait hook and dangle him off the nose of the kayak, just where he's in enough water where he can still breathe. And yeah. for, those, for those instances where you sneak up on a fish, but you know you're too close to get them on plastics or a jig, you can kind of pick that mullet up and kind of pitch it near that fish. And him hitting the water and shooting off is a natural instinct. And after you get that natural reaction bite from uh, a red or from a trout, or even a snook. You know, uh, if he's sitting in a pothole or he's just cruising down the grass, and you see him coming, and like I say, you know, I'm probably not going to get him to eat this plastic right here, but he'll eat that mullet, right? That mullet is a swimming snicker bar for for a red <laughs> yeah. and uh, and a big trout. So, um, a couple of years ago. I took a couple of my friends out to the south end of the Mosquito Lagoon, and that's exactly what we did. I said, listen, the mullet are everywhere. They're eating the heck out of them. Let's just go grab some mullet. You know, We'll keep a couple of them alive in some buckets. And then uh, what we'll do is, as we see them, as we see these reds, whether they're cruising or they're sitting still or whatever, pitch them that mullet and, and watch and see what they do. And, man, I'm telling you, if you want to go out and catch just crazy numbers of fish, you know, upwards of 20, 25, maybe even 30 redfish in a day. When, when you find an area where the reds know the mullet are at and they're starting to kind of stack up and get ready to, to do what they do best, and you got some live, I'm talking very, very lively finger mullet. <laughs> the same way as if you go offshore. You don't want to go offshore with a bunch of half-dead bait. You know, you get a bite, it'll happen but if you really want to turn on that one big fish sitting underneath the ledge or whatever, the, the the crazier that pinfish is when he hits the bottom or that, that, uh, that sardine or that blue runner, um, the crazier they are when they hit the bottom, the, the, the more, uh, uh, stronger of a reaction bite you're going to get the same way with, with in inshore, you know, there's hey you could take a finger mullet. Like I said before, earlier in the show, you could take a finger mullet, throw them underneath a, uh, throw him underneath a um, popping cork and let him just go out there and jiggle that cork
0: around and, and it'll happen. Oh yeah. Yep. If you, if you, I was going to say also, if you look at, if you look at some of the, or if you even take a trip with some of these guides, some of the good guides that we have in the, in our lagoon system, a lot of those good guides, I'm sure you know that, Chuck. Um, a lot of the good guides will have live finger mullets with them. Most of most of them carry that stuff with them when they have clients, because yeah. it's 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 like a it's like a given. I mean, if they are going to eat, if they're not eating anything, they're going to eat that though.
2: I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, you 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 toss them. You see these guides the way they do it. Sometimes they'll find a school of fish or something like that, and they'll prepare their their clients right then and there, they'll put some finger mullets on right there and tell them, toss out there, you know, and you, you see it, you know, and as soon as, you know, as soon as that thing hits the water, I mean, that's candy. Like you said, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's like a sneaker bar out there, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's what's cool is, is usually most, most guides won't even let you know they even have live bait on the boat. Most of the time when you go with a a good guide, he'll have it as a backup plan. And if you're not doing it, if you're not doing, if you're not upholding your end of the bargain on the spinner rod or on the fly rod, and it's just a tough, tough day, I don't know where it comes the live mullet or the big hand-picked shrimp. (laughs) And and you know, it's pretty much on at that point, you know? Um, Yeah. Especially for those bigger fish, those those reds that are that 25 to, you know, 40 inches, those fish, I, I don't think I've ever, with the exception of maybe a handful of times, I don't think I've ever had a big one, like in that same size, turn down a lot, a super lively finger mullet. You know, I mean, I might not have landed every one I've ever thrown at, but I've damn sure gotten eaten by <laughs> got got, got the right. from everyone. You know, and it's uh, hey, you know, it's one of those things. I I I love to do it from time to time. There's species that are in our river, intercoastal area that that you have to fish live bait for, really, if you want to be really successful. And around our bridges, we get a pretty good mangrove snapper bite certain times of the year. And I'll tell you what, I've got some spots you can go and you can cast net little tiny finger mullet. I'm talking tiny, like two, maybe three inches long. And you take one of those little two or three inch long finger mullet Stick him on a very small, like a mosquito hook from Owner, uh, like a either a size 4 uh, or a size 2, and drop him up with a split shot near a pylon in the river and just hold on. Because you'll, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, you won't even know what the heck's going on. I mean, it, it's incredible how hard those fish will hit. And what's interesting, too, is that same little tiny finger mullet will draw the bite from most of your slot size reds. They can they can see it. They when he's flashing around it'll work. Um a trick that I used to use when I used to wade a lot more, which I don't really do much of now, but I used to um run a drop shot rig with a live finger mullet. And uh for you bass fishermen in there, SC Deans in there, guys who know what a drop shot rig is, basically you're running a drop shot, your weight is on the bottom, your your bait is suspended above it. Um mm-hmm. You know, several inches or whatever, sometimes a little bit higher depending upon water depth, but um, we used to do that all the time down around Pineda Causeway and down towards Melbourne Causeway and O'Galley Causeway we get down there and we throw these finger mullet, lip hook them and throw them out with like a half ounce or even maybe sometimes up to an ounce um, bank sinker so it kind of pins them in place and they just, they sw- they go nuts you know you reel down tight to him, keep that line nice and tight. That finger mullet's on that hook, just, whoo, you know, vibration crazy, just getting nuts. And shining, you know, he's, he's throwing off that silver signature in the water. And, man, fish after fish. After, you catch fish in the river you didn't even know even lived in the river
2: on that bait.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, we used to catch, especially down by O'Galley, we used to catch a lot of big snook. And uh, every now and again, we get into some small groupers down around where the dragon used to be, and that's the same technique I used to use down there. I'd bump it up to an ounce, maybe even a two ounce weight there, and because you're talking, you're fishing anywhere from uh, four to eight feet of water. So you drop a finger mullet down that's that's tail hooked, and he's trying with all he's got to swim away, and he can't because you're just you got him pinned there, and all he's all he is 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 basically. He's acting like a, a spoon, right, that's sitting still because he's just flashing like crazy. Well, you pitch that bait up around a, a big pile of rocks in the river, like over at, at Dragon Point. I don't know about now, but when we used to do it, and, man, you'd catch keeper size groupers in the river. Crazy.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. I was surprised um, just talking about that. I was surprised, like, in the, well, the, the Fishkins Tournament. What is it, like three or four groupers are turned in or something like that? It's like, oh, man. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, hey, I got something for you here. So my father-in-law, as most of you know and have followed the show, I talk about him every now and again. My father-in-law works at the Florida Power and Light power plant that's on the river. And he's worked there for 30 years or something like that. Well, they have an intake canal. The intake canal has a screen over the intake. So fish crustaceans whatever doesn't get sucked up into the power plant ground up and you know whatever it's used for cooling down the power plant so but you know everything gets trapped on the screens. so in the last three days he has pulled like seven giant uh hermit crabs off the off the screens giant ones like the ones you see out in the ocean mm. and i've never seen giant hermit crabs in the river, right? I've just, I've never seen it. Yeah. I've seen plenty of small ones. Wow. Yeah. I've never seen big, I'm talking, these things, the claws on the one were probably five inches long, six inches long.
0: Wow. What do you think those things came from? I mean.
1: I don't know. I don't know, but, but it brings up an interesting point because. You know, they, they dredged that out a long time ago. So that area in there is kind of deep. Um, yeah. And a couple of years ago during the freezes, they had, uh, they had some groupers come in on the screens that were shocked from the cold. I mm-hmm. bet you, I, I would almost bet that in the Indian River Lagoon right now as we speak – that every bridge probably has keeper gag groupers on it. Whether or not you're going to get that fish to bite, that's, that's you know a whole nother story. But I had a kid come in the shop the other day, and he was looking for some um, circle hooks. He's been catching mangrove snappers near the power plant. And I'm talking not your typical Indian River Lagoon, one-pounder, two-pounder mangroves. I'm talking a legitimate four- and five-pound mangroves. So, you know, it's, it's, this is the time of year where it's fun to experiment with live baits. It's fun to take that, that little bit bigger finger mullet, throw them on a hook and, and pitch them out into the middle of what you think is a school of giant reds, um, or around that dock that you haven't fished. It's a deep water dock or underneath that mangrove tree or whatever. I don't know, man. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun. It's something that we don't do a whole lot of, you know, and, uh, I'm probably going to start doing more of it, especially now that I've got the sweet apparatus to mount onto the back of my kayak or my boat. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, power pole micro is sitting on my kitchen table, awaiting its uh mounting device. It's killing me, Pepe.
0: Did you get one finally? What the mounting device? Yeah. The the mounting mounting bracket, were you able to get one? No, I didn't get the mounting bracket yet. Okay. I was wondering, because I I saw a lot of people online trying to find one. I know.
1: Last I checked, it's still on back order, but we'll see what happens there. I'm I'm working on a couple different angles, but worst case scenario,
0: worst case scenario, I will build something out of starboard.
1: (laughs)
2: That's
0: what I was going to say. I mean, uh, you saw – Sean's yeah um, that he yeah. built his at a starboard on his Hobie um pro angler so you could pretty much ask him what he did you know yeah yeah if well you I, have to you know
1: yeah well could he used it today a couple of times um there was some pretty decent sized trout in and around the area where I was going to fish um for the tournament this weekend but pretty good sized trout but um I couldn't get wowed up in time, man. The wind was cranking. Oh yeah. So, I saw your picture. It looked like the water was cranking there. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it got progressively worse as I was there. It, it was it was so bad that uh, Alex and, and Chris Flores decided they weren't going to launch where I was going to launch. They went somewhere else, to find more protection. But you know, it would have been a fun day to have the sail on the boat. That'd have been that'd have been fun. But anyway, yeah. so. Yeah, looking forward. So we got the IFA tournament this upcoming weekend. I know we've got a bunch of guys from out of town coming in town to fish it. Um, The IFA has recently done uh, or has recently made implemented a rule change that will not allow folks to cross over state lines to fish the event. Um, Good, bad, or indifferent, that is the rules, and uh, there you go. I hope that uh, Tiesville event has a pretty good showing. Uh, I like to see a number of folks come out to it. I don't know. Last year, it didn't seem to be a whole lot of guys. What was it? Like maybe
0: thirty, forty, maybe. Yeah, something like that. It was. I mean, yeah. Usually, usually, it all depends on the weather. That's the thing about IFA. IFA doesn't have a deadline for signing up. If I remember correctly, I think you could even sign up the same day as the tournament. Yeah, so a lot of people wait to the last minute, you know, to see what the weather's going to be like. <laughs>
2: right.
0: So well, that's
2: what, that's it's one I of those
0: things, you know. Time. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I think I did it too last year and stuff. And another rule that they implemented this year, Chuck, too, where we launched last year,
2: yeah, we cannot
0: launch from the there this year. You know. Yeah. We cannot yeah. launch from there. That's another rule that they implemented. No. No private launches. You cannot launch from anywhere that is private. I mean, it's got to be public. Anybody's got to be able to access it. And, and if there is a ramp charge to launch from there, it cannot exceed $20, the ramp charge. Gotcha. So last year, I'll say, last year we launched from NASA Causeway in no motor yep. zone, and yep. it was allowed last year. It was allowed. This year, it's a no-go Nobody could launch from there this year, so so this year if we were to launch from there we would not be you know, we would not be able to launch from there because of the rules the rule change. I think it's actually a good rule. Keeps everything a little bit fair, I think. Um, keeps everybody, you know, you can't be launching from the back of a house. You know, that kind of stuff. It's fair right. game, you know. The only thing I still don't like the traveling idea. I still you know, they don't let you cross state lines and I've always been I've always been against the whole thing of the driving back and forth. You know, the guys from Jacksonville will come down here and they'll come for the Captain's V and then go fish in Jacksonville and then come back. If they got something good up there they'll come back for for the for the way in here. Same I, same thing with when it's the Jacksonville one. The Jacksonville one, the guys from here will drive here, uh, drive back here from Jack, go to Jacksonville for the Captain's V and then drive back here, fish here and then go back up there, like Cameron Sher Knight wanted last year doing that the one in Jacksonville. So I'm not in agreement with that. You know, I think if the tournament is held in one certain area, that's where you should fish. That's that's the tournament's being held there, that's where that's where you should be fishing in those waters. I mean that's just the way I think. You know, it's 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 a tournament that's being held some you know, it's being held in that town. That's where you should that's where you should fish it. That's that's just the way I think, you know? No, it makes sense because otherwise I mean truly at the end of the day what's
1: what's the What's to say they don't just hold the tournament the same location all the time and you just drive there and do the same thing? You know, it's, it's, you know, one of the things that the way I look at it is this, like, I like the idea of somebody eventually throughout the year having home field advantage, right? So like we fish here, we should have home field advantage because we live here. You know, this is our backyard. We should know the waters well enough to know where the fish are at most of the time and go out there and, and execute. You know, and the guys in Jackson, the guys in the panhandle, or the guys down south, or wherever, wherever the tournaments are held, know their body of water better than anybody else. So when we have to travel to another area, or they have to travel to another area within the state, eventually you're going to have to fish somebody else's backyard. Right? And I think, honestly, that is like, that's really the only way to to say so and so is the 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 champion of the series, right? If you went to everybody else's backyard and whooped them, then I think, it, it, and at that point, you are without a doubt uh, the the champ. Like if you've gone and you've fished every event and you've gone back, like say you or I or anybody locally. or or even up in jacksonville say you live in jacksonville and you fish jacksonville all the time and you know exactly where those fish are all the time you should do well right like it's the same thing here we know where these fish are 365 days out of the year wind conditions doesn't bother us because we know where to go to find the fish when it's windy you know we can always find fish so you know the the guys on the on the east coast versus the guys in the West coast. I think that it really levels the playing field when you have to fish somebody else's water, because like I say, especially in a setting like the IFA where you got guys, who are going to be driving down here from all kinds of States. I mean, all over the, the Southeast, you know, and especially when the Jacksonville event rolls around because that's, that's the uh, Hobie world's qualifier, one of the Hobie world's qualifiers. So, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't know. To me, it's the same as, like, the the offshore tournament scene, I think, is probably the most, as far as the way I look at it, the way that everybody should tailor their tournaments after, right? If you go to fish a big money offshore tournament, you're allowed to leave this inlet or this inlet or maybe just the one inlet. And you're only allowed to fish within 50 nautical miles or 60 nautical miles of that inlet. Whatever the case may be. So I have no problem with a dude getting up and and putting putting in on the water at safe light and paddling 20 miles one direction to go find some fish and then doing the same thing coming back, you know, Um, and him being crowned the champion because he put in the effort and everything else. It's just, you know, I I don't know. With me, I'm, I'm the same with you, though. And then what else? The other part of it too, which uh, which I think a lot of people look at it is, it's a lot easier to manage and to watch folks when they're fishing all in the same area. And I'm not exactly. saying that anybody cheats. I'm just saying that there's a lot of skepticism in the kayak fishing tournament realm. There's a lot of folks that want to fish kayak fishing tournaments but won't because they feel that it can be too easily rigged, not by the tournament director, but by the anglers themselves. And so, you know, they, uh, they, they won't fish them. You know, attendance numbers aren't that good. You know, when you get a tournament like, you know, the Adventure Deal, where you can, you can pre-fish all you want to, you can know how to fish an area so good it you, makes your head spin. But you don't know crap until that morning, and uh, <laughs> yeah. And when you when when you yeah. wake up that morning and you get that piece of paper and you open it up and you see where you have to go and you know it could be it could be done the exact same way in any tournament situation. It doesn't have to be checkpoints. The IFA could implement a, a a map, you know, just as easily as anybody else could or or any any kayak tournament. Allen's tournament any tournament can, can put out a map and say, all right,
0: guys, here are your three launch locations you can launch from. Right? In, in, a way, in, in a way, the one who does that, that actually works out pretty good in a way, is actually the Kayak Fishing Classic, which is the Tropic Bay, Captain Pat's tournaments. Oh. He has set launch points for all his stuff, and I actually, I actually like that setup that he has. It works great, it, let me tell you. It does. It works great because everybody's on an even playing field. You're launching from the same spots as everybody else. You pick where you want to launch. You play your you play your cards. You know what I'm saying? But these are these are your launch points and do what you got to do. And that's it. I actually like that setup. That setup is actually I think I really like it.
1: Let me ask you a question real quick while we're on the topic of fishing tournaments. And uh, non-pro staff Murdoch just said, did you see the AFWC regional is going to be in Jacksonville beginning of June? Uh, You being a native um, pro staffer, uh, we're still
0: grandfathered in, right? I think so. I haven't heard. You know, I've seen the question asked, and I've seen other people wonder about it. But, you know, I don't have the answer to that. I thought we were last time when we talked about it over there, yeah. um, at the tournament and stuff. I think, I think I remember hearing everybody that participates and stuff your grandfathered in. But after seeing the qualifiers and all this stuff, I haven't heard anything else. You know what I'm saying? I still haven't heard anything um, as far as that. Maybe we, maybe I should ask Woody that question, you know, and ask him. And I'm sure I'll get an answer right away from him. Oh um, yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, you know, it'd be nice. To, it'd be nice to know because if I don't have to fish a qualifier to be able to fish the thing, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big difference to me having to go and spend a weekend in Jacksonville, you know, fish a, a regional tournament just to get a place in the, in the uh, championship.
0: Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure anybody that participated that thing, I'm pretty sure your grandfather did. I mean, I'm not positive on this, but I think that's what I heard. You know, that's what we've heard. So I mean, that's cool. what I'm going on. I mean, I, but but I have seen the question, you know, brought up, and I haven't seen an answer. You know, I haven't seen a definite answer since it's been brought up. But I'll post a question to Woody and see what he says.
1: Cool. On a lighter note, yeah. uh, or on another note, probably not lighter for some folks, but the uh, the question has come up a few times of whether or not it's right to take a upper slot trout or an over slot trout home to eat it. I see this post every now and again on Facebook. Someone will catch a 28, 30-inch, 30 31-inch, whatever, big trout, and he'll get busted for next the next shot of him with the trout. Is it cooking in the oven or whatever? And here's my take on it and it's just my opinion, which is what the show is all based all about, It's just my opinion. My uh my opinions and views do not necessarily ref- reflect those of my sponsors and or Chip Gibson or anybody else. Uh if you catch a big trout, I'm talking a, a legitimate big trout, a 25 to 30, mid 30s, upper 30s, whatever. If you if you catch that big trout and he subsequently dies or you know he's not going to make it due to either length of fight or you know gut hooked or gill hooked or whatever don't let him be crab food right like i i I've I've, I've I've killed some offshore species before that you know typically it's kind of frowned upon to take those home and eat them um, namely, like sailfish and such. And listen, when you tail wrap a billfish and, and he fights to the point of where he he literally dies, I'm not going to cut him loose and send him to the bottom and get eaten by sharks. But uh, you know, if uh, if you catch that big trout and, and you you've done everything you can do to try and revive him, you spent time with it and done everything you can do at that point, hey. You know, you either let the crabs eat or you take it home and eat it and feed your family. To go out and target big, giant trout to fill a cooler with you and your buddies, to me, isn't, isn't cool. I mean, we're, we're, we're starting to to reap the benefits of people starting to do more catching and releasing, more catching photo releasing uh, on the trout. I'm telling you right now, this river, I don't care what anybody says. Yes, it's gross. Yes, it's dirty. Yes, sometimes it stinks but this river is alive all right if you if, if any of you guys have ever lived here any length of time or have ever been to space coast and checked out our indian river lagoon system and you've watched the progression or the decline of different game fish now to see things like giant trout bounce back and we say it all the time on the show don't we pep you might catch a yeah. five years ago if you caught a 20 inch trout that was a stud Like you did a good job Like that was the man 22, 23, 24, shoot, a 25 was a gator. Like, holy crap, yep. you know the trout's huge. Now, if you don't catch a trout that's 25 inches, it's almost not even worth taking a picture of. Yeah. Because you know <laughs> your very next cast is probably going to be another trout the same size. Exactly. And uh, as Alan proved in the Fishkins tournament, a 30-and-a-half-inch trout, I mean, come on. That's unheard of for years past. So those fish are bouncing back. That that fishery itself is bouncing back. Now what I saw today, really, 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 like, I'm telling you, really made me happy. Was I pull? I was drifting along. Wind was pushing me pretty good. Drifting along on the outside edge of of a couple docks. I look up underneath one of the docks. Saw a bunch of sheephead, you know, piling around a a couple pylons, and uh, it in and around the sheephead were Four or five snook. Snook. Yep. Now, not down in Melbourne, where they should be. Not down towards Sebastian, where they normally are. I'm talking yep. in Titusville. In Titusville. Yep. Snook. Multiples. On one dock. Flash back a couple of years. We lost probably just about every snook in the northern end of the river to the freeze the lagoon was covered in dead snook we're starting to see those fish bounce back if the river was in that bad a shape truly i don't think we'd see some of these things i know it needs help obviously it needs help you know it's not the doom and gloom story that the media puts out and makes makes our waterway sound like it's you know uh, a toxic wasteland but uh, trust me, because I fished in areas around the state of Florida that were much nastier than where we fish. Um, but you know, uh, I think that I think that things are starting to bounce back. It's
0: uh, it's looking good. Look yeah. at the tarpon. Yeah, I'd, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're those tarpon are coming back. Just like you said, the snook are showing up in numbers, a lot more numbers than last year, and already this year already as you know you're starting to see a lot more tarpon too that's that's another one you're starting to see i mean that, that it's, it's, it's everything you're right you're right things are and even that i mean just just what you were saying about hermit crabs i mean even that it's like hermit crabs i mean hermit crabs you know when whenever you see big hermit crabs like that not only that you know what i've seen in population go up as the years have gone on too uh moisture crabs. Oh, mango I've snappers. seen more mangrove snappers the last 2 years than I've seen, you know, before that, you know, for you know, I hadn't seen mangrove snappers like that before. You know, and there's those those are starting to, you know, they're starting to flourish too. Yeah. So, oh yeah. It's, it's and, and I as mean it's said happening. Earlier. I mean Yeah.
1: As you said earlier, the grouper, uh, you know, there's been some grouper caught. Um Dude, look at the south end of the Mosquito Lagoon. Guys are catching giant ribbon fish in the lagoon. Yeah. That- <laughs> catching ribbons, catching sea robins. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's so many different species of fish to catch here locally and and uh, you know, I, I, I try to I try to use the show as as a platform to reach out to those who who may be thinking about making a, a family trip down to Orlando. Hey, while I'm in Orlando I might jump over and, and check out uh the Titusville area slash uh, Brevard County, whatever, down to Sebastian, whatever. Um, I try to use this as a platform to, to, to promote what we have here and, uh, hopefully grow some, grow some, uh, followers to our area because I'll tell you what, um, we, we are very, very fortunate and very, very blessed to have an amazing fishery, uh, that isn't title driven, that is one of a kind in the entire United States, we are the only lagoon, body of water, non-tidal, where a redfish never leaves to go spawn. We're the only one, uh, with the exception of anything man-made, of course. But, um, so it, it's, it's pretty special to be able to fish here and, and, and see what we get to see here. Uh, I can tell you, I am uh, I'm really, really getting ready to start hammering on those mangrove snappers. That's one of those fish that, that I really like to catch, and and I'm telling you where I'm going to try, and I'll and I'll openly say it because I I don't know how many guys are willing to make the trip. I want to try up there by the NASA Causeway. Mm, yep, dude, I bet you. Yep. I I I'd almost venture to say that that there's probably five pound mangroves on that bridge.
0: Well, there's gotta be there, yeah, yeah. There's gotta be. I know some big sheepheads there. That's for sure. Oh
1: huge
0: sheephead yeah. Alex yeah. Griffin yeah. and I one time went up there
1: looking for sheephead and and I looked over the side of the kayak and I saw the sheephead swim by dude if if I didn't see his like his mouth if I didn't see his teeth and his mouth I I would have swore he was a black drum He was yeah. a victim, like a, a stud uh Dean Zimmerman in the chat room there's asking how far is it to paddle or pedal uh to the well to the shoreline out of car's park it's what close to 8 miles So to get to the actual bridge, you're probably eight and a half miles, eight and a quarter mile, something like that. Um, It would be no less than a 16-mile round trip. But do please remember (laughs) that we are going into spring slash summer. Wind directions typically are not favorable for most to go to the bridge (laughs) because inevitably, as the sun comes up, So does the wind out of the southeast, and you want to talk about a miserable existence getting back? Try and paddle. That's right. Try and paddle from just from Bucks Creek back to Cars Park in a hard south wind. It sucks.
0: So. Yeah. Bring an I've umbrella. I've done that a few times that I've had to yeah. stop and rest. Yeah. <laughs> Kidding me?
1: Hey, I'm not. I'm not too big of a man to to admit it. I've actually stopped, gotten out, and walked.
0: (laughs) Yep. Oh (laughs) yeah.
1: And just drug the kayak behind me. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you know, bring an umbrella with you. Bring a sail. Uh, you know, I've got the sail for the for the PA, so I don't mind sailing that thing back if I need to. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, I'm telling you, there's it's 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 a good time of year, man. Uh it's a great time of year to fish. Um, anywhere, really. I mean it's it's getting hot everywhere. I'm looking around the state and watching guys over in the panhandle that are getting out when they can and getting some red snappers, getting some cobias, getting some kings. Uh our guys, as we said earlier, Mike from New Smyrna Beach and uh Ed from Hellbrand Leatherworks and uh Mike Canine and uh Zach Reese all went down south and uh they got on some uh a king a nice big kingfish, a couple of amberjacks um so i mean it's it's hey, it's that time of year. guys are gonna start getting a little crazy with it going out, oh, and then they also got what's coming up uh the Bahamas tournament yeah, the Bahamas tournament's coming up uh, i think uh here in, in another week so or maybe this weekend coming this, but it's, um,
0: it's this weekend it's this weekend coming up because uh got these guys. Um, a few of the guys, I don't know if you saw the pictures, but a few of the guys went out with Nellie, yeah. with, Brian, with Brian Neely, They went out with him today offshore. And there are guys, Don, Donnie Miley's down there. Um, Josh Lager from the West Coast is over there. Um, and they all went out offshore today. Did you see the fish they caught today? No, I didn't. Did, oh, you didn't? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh, they were catching... I'm going there was the face a few dolphins that I saw, oh yeah, they were dolphins that I saw caught. They are like fifteen twenty pound dolphins that they caught today. They caught kingfish, and they caught a few other things i mean, I mean, it was just sickening the pictures. you look at it,' like, oh my gosh, look at these guys <laughs> let me tell you something and yeah and and
1: this this is just like I mean, Brian. Without a, without a doubt, Brian is probably the closest thing to those guys in the in the in the Hawaiian Islands that we have here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That dude, yep. that dude just gets it, man. That guy just he understands his fishery down there. I mean, nobody can. Uh, yeah, I see it now, Josh, with a nice dolphin. Um, nobody can uh, compete with that, man. Nobody can compete with that. When, you, when you're when you that skilled and you understand your, your fishery that well, I mean, the guy goes out. What did he do the, the trip before that? He caught a sailfish, like 21 blackfin tuna. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go do a little fishing today. I'm going to go out and get 21 blackfin tuna and a sailfish. It was a pretty yeah. decent day. <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs> but, uh. You know, if I had to pick somebody out of that whole group of people that are going over to the Bahamas and fishing that tournament, you know, honestly, uh, uh, Brian's got my my vote just because of his experience offshore in a kayak, Um, you know, his his ability to be able to rig for just about any situation. Um, Everyone that's going over there, they're all great anglers, very skilled anglers, but, I mean – that's like that's like fishing against Kevin Van Dam in a bass tournament,
0: you know. Yeah. And, I mean, he does uh, it put, regularly. He does it. He does it. He knows what he's doing, and he does it regularly. I mean, I mean at least two or three times a week, he's out there doing it. And I at wonder. That, so. I'm curious.
1: I need to talk to Brian, but I'm I'm curious to know if he keeps track of how many sailfish he's caught from his kayak. I imagine he does. I would I yeah. I'd like to know if there's such a way to do it. Who has caught the most billfish from a kayak from the Atlantic coast? I bet you I would I would venture to say uh that he's probably pretty pretty high up there. Oh yeah. You know, I mean if not if not one of the guys he he's he's got to be right up there. You know. Um, there's a lot of other great anglers. Uh, look, we got uh, Andrew Mixon there in the chat room. He's another one. Andrew's uh, Andrew's a guy who spent a lot of time, you know, fishing for king fishing tournament series out of you know big boats and such. And the guy's skilled, man. Knows what the heck he's doing. And that's a whole different ball game. That's a whole different ball game, as those guys who went down south figured out this weekend. You know, I saw uh, Ed had said that the tide or the current was ripping. And Mike Canine and and uh, and Zach Reese couldn't couldn't hold the spot because they had a paddle, you know. And the, the, yeah. you got you got Mike and um, Ed and Hobie's, and they're just sitting on top, you know, being able to somewhat hold their spot on top of the wreck. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot more to it. Than it is on the flats. I mean, on the flats, it ain't no big deal. Launch your kayak, get on the flats, stand up, push pole, sit down and paddle. Who cares? Like, you know, the wind's blowing. We're all going to get blown around. And uh, there you go. Uh, Brian has three confirmed catch and release sailfish in six weeks' time this year. Three. Three sailfish. That's just this year. (laughs) Yeah. In six weeks, that's only. In six weeks. In six weeks, Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like in my in my in my kayak fishing bucket list. Trust me there is one. In my kayak fishing bucket list, I I uh I really, really wish I can get one out of out of the kayak. That that that's probably sailfish out of the kayak is probably right up there with rooster fish. Yep. Yeah. And this guy catches three of them in six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, crazy man. Mike said he saw four sales on Saturday and one on Sunday. So they're down there. Um, non pro staff Murdochs is hundred and twenty foot power pole. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. With that one. Hundred and twenty foot power pole. Well, you know, I could use a uh drift socks, man, I'm telling you. Drift socks help. A five gallon bucket thrown over the side filling full of water will slow you down too on a drift. Um, that, that sucks when you're, when you're powerless against it. Uh, Ed says that Canine is in beast mode though. Uh, launching and landing offshore in a kayak with noodle legs is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah. But so there you go. I mean, That's the, that's that's truly the beauty of what we have here in, in Florida, uh, not just central Florida, but all around the state is we've got, we're no longer limited to what we can do in a kayak, you know, um, or just to how crazy you are. Now it's actually like a legitimate science of going out and catching, you know, big game fish from a kayak, um, you know, with fish finders and everything else the guys use uh, into, uh, charts and knowing the tides and knowing the moon phase and knowing when the bait's going to be and, and all that kind of thing. You know, I'm not, I saw Brian was talking about him fishing that tournament against the boaters. Yeah. It's only going to be a matter of time before somebody in a kayak, whether it's Brian or somebody else or Andrew or anybody ends up beating a dude, beating a, a whole fleet of boats. In an offshore kayak fishing tournament or an offshore kayak tournament or an offshore tournament sorry you know how crazy would that be yeah you got, yeah you're fishing it's against bound to dudes happen. And, oh it's bound yeah. to happen you're fishing against dudes and million dollar sport fishermen's and quarter three quarter million dollar uh uh you know 36 foot yellow fins and such <laughs> and here you come paddling in on your two thousand dollar kayak and <laughs> Yeah. Thank everybody. It's going to be awesome, man. I'm telling you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's – it'll be something. It's it's bound to happen. It really is, especially down there, down in South Florida, down there where Brian fishes, because it's so easily reachable in a kayak. You know what I'm saying? That area is so easily reachable that it's going to happen. If it's going to happen somewhere, it's going to happen down there. You know? Yeah. But – but yeah, I mean it's changing. It's, 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 your kayak fishing, your kayak fishing from ten years ago is not the same kayak fishing nowadays. You know, it's changed. It's changed so much. It really has. Ed's
1: asking if uh, KBV Outfitters sells drift socks. Ed, if you want a drift sock, I'll get you a drift sock. I can order them. <laughs> I should probably stock a few. It's probably not a bad actually. We may have them over yeah. on uh, the Kayak Swabos side. We may have. I think we do actually have two. At least we did. We had two You in had,
0: stock. Yeah, you had. I remember, Chuck, you used to have drift socks there because I got my drift sock there. Right. That's where I got my drift sock a long time ago. And I always, whenever it's in a windy day, whenever I know it's a windy day, especially in a tournament, if I'm fishing a tournament, it's a windy day, I have that drift sock with me. It's there. Yeah.
1: You, remember, there. When me and you remember when me and you fished near each other in that, well, during that one tournament? And, uh... And, uh, you had your drift sock out and I was like blowing past you trying to slow down. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's a great, it's a great tool, man. And I've got one too. I've got one. Uh, I've got a drift sock for my boat as well. And, um, you know, if you don't have one, you can, you can make your own if you want to. Uh, like I say, a a good, easy way to do It's just a five gallon bucket and a rope. (laughs) Take a five gallon bucket, throw it over the side drill a, f- a few small holes in it, in the bottom. And uh, this way here, the water can kind of escape through it or other junk kind of get through it. But, uh, yeah, it'll slow you down. And, uh, yes, Dean, Andrew, Andrew's correct. Most tournaments ask that you wear your PFD during the event. So, is there a guy running around watching everybody? Probably not. But... Um, and if you don't have a PFD, you have to have one anyway. It's just law that you have a, a,
0: a life jacket in your uh, in your kayak
1: at all times. And if you
0: and if and if and if they're asking if they're asking about an offshore tournament whether you have to wear your PFD, if you don't wear your PFD and you're offshore, you are pretty dang stupid. Let me tell you, that's a, that's I mean whether it's required or not, if you're offshore, you better have a PFD on come on.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, there's more, there's more to, uh, there's more to that too. I mean, uh, and I say it a million times and we're probably going to end up carrying them at the shop just because I'm going to talk people into getting them. You, you really, really, really need a spot device, a small E perb. Um, any, any of us should have that regardless. Something happens to you when you're out there on the water you can't use your phone or you can't, you know, you don't have a buddy near you. You need a way to communicate. Spot device is a great way to do that. I'm going to try and get the guys from spot device on the, uh, on the show in the next couple of weeks. Um, speaking of which next week, uh, next Monday, we'll have a special guest on, uh, from American fish ta- American, uh, fishing tackle. So, um, well American tackle company, sorry. Uh, the guys that make the microwave guides are, are going to be on the show, so uh, there you go. Do you have any questions? Never used them before. Well, allow me to blow your mind next time. I'm, next time you're around. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was a skeptic, uh, and i In fact, if you go back to the the early shows from my 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 uh radio show here if you go back to the early shows and listen i promise you you'll run across a show where i'm like listen if it was legit I th- and i'll even quote it because i know exactly what i said and i told the guy from uh american tackle today what uh what i said then if it was legit shimano would do it
2: <laughs> that's what i told
1: him that's what i told him and he and he laughed because he, he knows what I'm saying in a way until, hey, we were up there at Perdillo Key. They, had the, they did the, the microwave guide uh, challenge up there. And I'll tell you, I, I, threw, uh, I threw a plug on a rod without him. I threw a plug on the rod with him. And there's a huge difference in the velocity of your cast. I know it looks goofy a little strange to, to look at once you get past that and you understand it for what it is. It's a, it's a great tool, uh, to improve your casting distance and, um, you know, cut down on line slap, which will improve your casting distance. So we will have that guy on, uh, on the show next week and that'll be interesting to talk to him. And then what else do we got? We got Alan, when's Alan's tournament? Do you have a, a date in front of you?
0: June 20, 21st, June 21st, because the IFA is June 22nd in Jacksonville.
1: Yeah. June 21st. Yep. There you go. June 21st. And, uh, if you guys haven't heard about it yet on Facebook, check out, uh, Alan Ryland's Facebook page. I know he's got the link up. I can't, I'm sorry. I'm having a brain fart tonight. I can't think of the, uh, the actual name of the page for his redfish. It is two
0: thousand fourteen Cars Park Redfish uh challenge, I think, or something like that. There you go. I think it's that. Cool. And and it's only been up what, three days or something like that, three or four days now that the tournament that it just came all together. And we already have. If you look at that page, it says like seventy, something like that. I haven't looked at it in the last, I don't know or since earlier today, but it was up to like seventy people saying um, responded that they're going to the tournament, attending. Right. So I mean, it's up there. You know, you know through Facebook that never that seventy you can never because there's a lot of people that just that, that aren't going. But I mean, it's only four days in or something like that, and it's already up to that. Right. It's already that high. You know. All right. So that's that's uh that's amazing. I think this tournament I think we're going this tournament's actually gonna have I, I don't know, how have a feeling. I told Alan I go, Alan, this thing might get up to like a hundred people, man. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. It'd be awesome if that happened. Oh yeah. All
1: right, and no, there's, there's a sponsor sponsors. already in Tons- Yeah, I know, it's got great sponsors that are already involved in it. Alan did a good job putting uh putting the last couple on and word got out and You know, folks know now. So uh, folks know that he puts on a good event. So real quick, folks, um, May 1st, uh, there is a – let's see how this works. May 1st through May 31st, there's a, a tournament going on. It's an online tournament. It's called Kayak for Cure Online Benefit Tournament. All right? Uh, I'm going to read you the description of this tournament real quick, so stand by. Just bear with me, please. I would greatly appreciate it. Our good friend and fellow kayak angler Jason Hopper needs our help. His daughter Erin was recently diagnosed with leukemia. Let's all do what we do best, catch fish and help each other out. This online tournament will be a prize payout format with all proceeds benefiting Jason uh, Hopper and his daughter Erin. We have several sponsors on board, and we'll hopefully have more to support the cause. The dates, again, May 1st through May 31st. Entry fee is 20 bucks. You can PayPal that entry fee in to uh, C, as in Charlie, Stan, Sierra Tango Alpha November, uh, Sierra India Foxtrot. Let me do that again. So it's Charlie Sierra Tango alpha november sierra india foxtrot at gmail.com uh the species is bass large mouth small mouth or spotted bass it doesn't matter um so you can fish it here in florida if you want to uh criteria it's your two largest bass prizes are to be to be determined the more entries we have the bigger and better the prizes will be rules normal rules apply uh fish position on the board or whatever whatever um and let's see, the identifier will be sent available uh, before May 1st. Each entrant will also receive a uh, Team Aaron shirt. Sp- uh, sponsors so far, Dixie Jig Works Custom Baits, Fish Life Brand, Voodoo Baits, Keeney Fork Out Outdoors, um, and uh, Dem Vita. I'm not really sure if I pronounced that. I'm sure I butchered that. Um, If you'd like to become a sponsor or know someone who would like to contribute, please contact me at, again, it is Charlie Sierra Tango, Alpha November Sierra India Foxtrot at gmail.com. One more time for you non-military or law enforcement types, C-S-T-A-N-S-I-F, as in Frank. (laughs) Uh, or you can send a private message on Facebook. They've got the Facebook page up. It's called uh, again Kayak for a Cure um, Online Benefit Tournament. So if you guys are into throwing for bass, which I'll probably do this tournament just to help out, um, and I don't mind catching uh, ditch fish every now and again. So yeah, feel free to join up. They've got uh, 112 folks saying they're gonna they're gonna fish it, or at least join uh let's let's bring that number somewhere closer to a thousand. I think we can reach that many people just through the show and uh through other forms of social media so there you go. find the page on Facebook, like it if you don't mind uh say you're gonna go or you're not gonna go, and there you go so with that being said, I think I'm pretty much out of it, man. Did you have a good Easter?
0: I didn't even ask you Heck yeah. I- they had a great Easter. Um, yeah, my Easter was great. It's going to do with the family. Except for the wife, she was on call yesterday, and she did get called in once in the morning and then once in the afternoon. But other than that, it was all good. You know, she was home most of the time, you know. It's one of those things, you know, she's just on call on Easter and just having to get called in. The only the good thing about it, though, is they got a pair of some big bucks for going in on Easter, you know. so Heck, yeah. You gotta love that <laughs> yeah. hospital overtime money. Oh yeah, especially on Easter, you know something like that. But but um but yeah, other than that, it was all good. And the day before, I didn't get it, the guy since I got in late. I got into the show late. Um, on s- Saturday, I went and I did a little bit of uh, tarpon fishing on Saturday. I went over to one of our one of our uh, creek systems that we have here, and went into the creek and. And sure enough, man, got into the tarp and, you know, jumped five. But dang it, Chuck, I couldn't land one of them, you know. I jumped five of them, you know. And, Mm. man, but I cannot, you know, they, they all came unbuttoned, all five of them, you know. And it's one of those things, man. And you know what I was using? I was using those little teeny weeny little DOA tiny terrorized. Those tarpon love that, man. They love those little terror eyes.
1: You're not pulling my leg here? With what? You're being serious? I'm serious. thought you were cracking on Oh, I'm serious.
0: (laughs) I could land a tarpon during that damn tournament. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm serious. I jumped five tarpon on Saturday. I jumped five tarpon. I cannot land one of them. And yeah. I don't know how many other hits I had in the water that I could feel them miss the bait in the water. You know, I could feel them miss, I don't know how, at least 20 or 30, missed the bait in the water. But I jumped five of them, and on those little teeny-weeny, little tiny terrorized, man. <laughs> doesn't even make sense, does it? You no, know, it doesn't. And freaking, the bait's so small, it's like... <laughs> I can't believe they want. They like that, you know. You throw them a big bait, and they won't even touch it. They won't even not even look at it. I think you throw them a big bait. Yep, they
1: won't. <laughs> they want the. They want those little tiny, like like little mosquito fish and little mollies and stuff. They're eating in them ditches, man. That's what they want. Very yep. cool, very cool. Well, brother, I'm 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 so uh, feel free to. uh, So go ahead and do your thing, and then I'll do my thing, and we'll get out of here. Let all these nice people have a relaxing, enjoying Monday evening. And uh, don't forget, folks, too, that we have uh, three other shows throughout the week. Uh, So tune in to those shows starting tomorrow. The show comes to you from the great state of Texas. And then uh, what's what's the next show? The next show is uh, up in Virginia Beach. And then, of course, Yep, Wheeler. And then, of course, rounding out uh, the week is Chip Gibson over there in Georgia, in Atlanta, with the, uh, the round table, the Buzzards Row,
0: as he likes to call
1: it. So there you go. Go ahead, Buffy. Do your thing, buddy.
0: All right. Let me thank uh, Native Watercraft, Aquabound Paddles, Sea Deck Marine, Harry Goods Outdoor Shops, Lair Inc. Lures, Hook One, Yak Attack, Ram Mounds, Pack Webs. Uh, KBB Outfitters Orca Coolers And Power Pole Shallow Water Anchors I, I didn't get to say it before But let me tell you I used that thing a little bit this weekend And that thing Let me tell you That thing is awesome That thing is going to be a game changer It really is The only thing is a warning I'll put it out there for whoever gets one <laughs> Do not put the power level On that thing any higher than two <laughs> Unless you like to be airborne.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Be Holy front cow flips. is that thing powerful. <laughs> doing front flips out of the kayak. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You do not want it any higher than level one or level two in a kayak. I'm telling you, that thing is made for fifteen hundred pounds. Our kayaks our kayaks are not even close to fifteen hundred pounds with us in it. So that just says it all, you know if you put it any higher than level one or level two, you're gonna you, you might get up in the air
1: <laughs> That's awesome, yeah, right on well, folks, if you're looking to uh score a power pole micro for your kayak or any other kayak accessories, feel free to always swing by kayaks by bow or come on over next door to Kennedy outfitters. Uh, we do our best to try and carry everything you could possibly need in order to uh, make for a successful day out there on the water. Give us a shout at either shop, um, and we'll do what we can to help you out. With that being said, I'd like to thank Hobie Kayaks, Tackle Webs, uh, Power Pole, uh, Ego Nets, ENO, Adventurous Custom Rods, Real Adrenaline Energy Drinks, and uh, Slayer Ink Lures appreciate it and uh of course power pole uh shall be installed hopefully hopefully by friday (laughs) hopefully by friday i mean i'd like to try and get out on the water with it uh prior to the the tournament want to do a little pre-fishing if i can on saturday morning um see what we can't find and uh there you go that's 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 the plan so but anyway Appreciate it, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our show again tonight. Tune in, as always, to the other shows, and then also follow up with us next Monday night when we have uh, our guests from American Tackle Company. will be on board, and then uh, we'll have a rundown of the IFA event. Um, Looks like Ed is looking at May 4th of maybe running back down south again to another beach trip. So plug that in your calendars if you're interested. Uh, with that being said, please take a kid fishing. They are the future of our sport. Introduce your neighbors, your loved ones to kayak fishing. It will change the way that they look at life.
2: <laughs>
1: that sounded good. Um, and then uh, what else? Oh, of course. I always like to end the show with uh, with telling my children, Trey and Logan, please go to sleep. Daddy needs it. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Peppy, okay. thanks a lot, man. And, uh, yeah, that's it. See you. See you.